This recording, we're going to continue our discussion about lighting Shabbos candles on Friday afternoon. But this recording is going to be a little different than our previous two recordings, which were also on that topic. Those recordings, like we generally do, looked at some of the halachas and some of the conceptual discussion surrounding that mitzvah. This recording is going to be more historical, so we're going to revisit some of the issues that we discussed in the earlier recordings, but this time using a different lens of the history of the bracha on lighting the Shabbos candles. So this presentation will be a little different than we generally do. Most of our sources will still be Rishonim and traditional commentators, but we will use a little bit some historical articles. We'll try not to get too off track. And for our regular listeners who prefer a more Torah-based lens, they just want to hear straight Torah, not history. So next time we'll be back to the way we normally do things. So in the previous recording, we mentioned the debate in Tosos on Shabbos Chafhamad Beis, whether one should make a bracha when they light the Shabbos candles. And as we noted there, the majority opinion is very clearly that one should make a bracha. That's Rabbeinu Tam and Rab Amram and the Rambam and many other Rishonim's view. And that's the halacha that we all follow. So that's why our discussion there continued along that approach. But in this recording, we're going to look at the opposing view that one should not make a bracha when they light their Shabbos candles. And we're going to try to put some of this debate in historical context. So our printed Tosvasim leave anonymous who was arguing with Rabbeinu Tam, meaning the other side that held that one should not make a bracha. But from other sources, including Rabbeinu Tam's printed shuvos, which are called the Sefer Hayashar, so we do know who this person was. His name was Rabbeinu Misholem, and he and Rabbeinu Tam had a relatively long correspondence back and forth. A number of their letters back and forth are included in the Sefer Hayashar, so we do know something about their debates with each other, and their debates ranged over many issues, one of which was this issue over whether to make a bracha on lighting the Shabbos candles. So our printed Tosfasim are quoting Rabbeinu Mishulam's position, as well as two of his arguments against making a bracha, but they quote him anonymously, and then they quote Rabbeinu Tam's responses to him with additional elaboration, but all of this is taken from the back and forth in the Sefer HaYashar, so we have the original source of this from which our Tosfasim has got it. Now, there are other Rishonim who quote the Tosos material, like the Arzarua and the Mordechai, and when they quote this debate, so they do identify Rabbeinu Misholem by name. So this was known to the Rishonim who it was that had disagreed with Rabbeinu Tam. Now, this is part of the general trend of our printed Tosvasim, that they do quote sometimes Rabbeinu Misholem, and they quote some of his disagreements with Rabbeinu Tam, but they don't make a big deal about it in terms of personalities or historical context, as opposed to historians who focus very much on this correspondence as shedding light on both of their personalities, but especially Rabbeinu Tam, who was such a dominant, towering personality over the whole Tosvos period and the whole medieval Jewish Ashkenazi world. So this gives us some insight into who Rabbeinu Tam was and how he functioned, how he led the people, what his personality was like, how he dealt with people who disagreed with him. So historians are very into this whole correspondence. So in the yeshivas, this is not a big issue, the Rabbeinu Misholem Rabbeinu Tam debate. But in historical circles, this is an important correspondence, which sheds historical light on the figures involved. And one of the issues which came up in the course of this much broader debate, so this debate touched on a number of different important factors,
years, but one of the halachas that they ended up debating was whether to make a bracha on lighting the Shabbos candles. So we're going to try to look at that issue to see how it sheds light on some of the broader factors that Rabbeinu Tam and Rabbeinu Mishulam were debating. So there's an article by a historian in Israel, Avraham Reiner, known as Rami Reiner, in the Shnaton HaMishpat HaIvri from the year 2000, volume 21. And he tries to identify what were the broader themes over which Rabbeinu Tam and Rabbeinu Mishulam were disagreeing. And he tries to show how in each specific halacha they're arguing about, those themes are reflected. Now, in broad terms, Rabbeinu Tam and Rabbeinu Mishulam had different views towards halacha, even though Rabbeinu Tam was incredibly creative and he could reread sugyas in ways which would totally revolutionize the halacha. And when there was a need, so in cases when there was a tremendous financial pressure or the Jewish community couldn't continue doing things the way they had been doing it, so Rabbeinu Tam would develop a totally new interpretation of the Gemara, which would allow for leniency. And based on that, he would at times change practically what people were doing. And Rabbeinu Tam was known for this sharpness amongst his contemporaries, it was one of the things which made him one of the dominant Rishonim of his period because he had this very rare and unique ability to reread the sugyas of the Gemara in a way which was totally logically sound, but also allowed for new leniency. So even though Rabbeinu Tam had this tremendous power, but he didn't use it unless he really had to. In general, Rabbeinu Tam was a big believer in the inherited traditions. Whatever the community was doing, they should continue doing unless they really could not. Rabbeinu Mishulam, on the other hand, was also a very independent posek. Although he wasn't anywhere near the level of Rabbeinu Tam, certainly not in terms of his influence on halacha in general, but also not in terms of his ability to reread Gemaras and offer new interpretations. Rabbeinu Mishulam's ideas, as we'll see, tend to be more limited to analyzing a specific case and coming up with a halacha which is new and original to him. And as part of his independence, Rabbeinu Mishulam was also less cautious about changing accepted minhagim. So this was part of what Rabbeinu Tam got very upset with Rabbeinu Mishulam about, that he believed that Rabbeinu Mishulam was changing things too quickly without factoring in the minhagim properly and trying to maintain minhagim as much as possible. So that was part of the broader issue that they were debating. In addition, Rabbeinu Tam was from the north of France, while Rabbeinu Mishulam was from the south of France, what's called Provence, and those two communities had very different minhagim. So that was also part of the clash because Rabbeinu Tam was a fierce defender of the minhagim of Ashkenaz of northern France, whereas Rabbeinu Mishulam came from a different community, and that was part of the disagreements. So in the Sefer Ayyashar Simon Mem Zayin, this is a letter from Rabbeinu Mishulam, and he quotes from Rabbeinu Eliyahu Mi Paris, Rab Eliyahu of Paris, that he was the one who originally had said that one should not make a bracha on lighting the Shabbos candles. And the reason, as Rabbeinu Mishulam explains it, is because Ein Hadlakasa Gmar Mitzvasa, the lighting is not the completion of the mitzvah, the Eina Elek De Balayla. The whole point of lighting the Shabbos candles is only to have light later on at night. But since the purpose of the mitzvah is to have the light available later on when it gets dark. So when the person lights the candles before Shabbos, when it's still light, it's before sunset. So they haven't fulfilled the mitzvah at that point. So they can't make a bracha. According to Rabbeinu Mishulam, you would only make a bracha on a mitzvah, which you fulfill at the moment that you do it. 
But a mitzvah which you do and the fulfillment comes later on, you wouldn't make a bracha on it. So that's Rabbi Mishulam's first argument for why he agrees with Reb Eliyahu of Paris's position not to make a bracha on lighting the Shabbos candles. And even though our printed Tosusim don't quote this argument, so they have two other arguments from Rabbi Mishulam, which we'll get to later, but this argument does appear in the Mordechai on Masechus Shabbos. So when he quotes Rabbi Mishulam's view not to make a bracha on lighting the Shabbos candles, he quotes it based on this argument, this concern that the fulfillment of the mitzvah is not until later. And he very much helps out this argument because he provides it with support from the Gemara. He quotes a Gemara in Menachos Membez and Membez. Kol mitzvah she'en asiyasa gemar melechas mitzvasa. Any mitzvah which is not completed when the person does it, ain't mevarchan aleah. You don't make a bracha on it. So Rabbeinu Mishulam's concern comes straight from the Gemara. And then he points out that according to the Gemara in Pesachim Kuf Aleph Amad Aleph, the point of the Shabbos candles is in order to provide light for the meal. So Rabbeinu Mishulam is correct. Generally, we light the Shabbos candles sometime before eating the meal. So at the lighting, one does not fulfill the mitzvah until they eat their meal by the light of the candles. So one should not make a bracha when they're lighting it. Now, one of the ways to understand this debate is based on an idea that we mentioned in an earlier recording from the Brisker Rav, but this is an idea that many Svarim have, that there are two elements to the mitzvah of lighting Shabbos candles. One is to honor Shabbos as Shabbos is coming in, and the other is to be able to enjoy Shabbos later on so that one can see what they're doing and they have light when they're eating their meal. So it could be that this is exactly what Rabbeinu Tam and Rabbeinu Mishulam are debating. Rabbeinu Mishulam believed that the whole reason for lighting Shabbos candles is in order to enjoy their light later on in the night and to be able to see what we call Oneg Shabbos. But he does not consider the Shabbos candles a fulfillment of Kavod Shabbos of honoring Shabbos at all. So that's why he says there's no bracha. Whereas Rabbeinu Tam either holds that the candles are both or he holds that they reflect Kavod Shabbos, honoring Shabbos. So therefore one would make a bracha when they light the candles because at that moment they fulfilled the mitzvah of Kavod Shabbos and they don't need to wait any amount of time until it gets dark. So this may be one element of the debate between Rabbeinu Tam and Rabbeinu Meshulam. Now there are two formulations within the Tosfosim how to respond to Rabbeinu Meshulam's argument. The Mordechai quotes from the Ri, who's Rabbeinu Tam's nephew, that he differentiated between the Gemara's case, which is that you don't make a bracha on making the tzitzis or the tefillin, because you still need to put it on in order to do the mitzvah, but that's different than lighting the Shabbos candles, because the Ri's language is, digmar mitzvah the end goal of the mitzvah of lighting Shabbos candles is in order to use it to be able to see around the house and to carry things to the table. So it's not clear what exactly the re is emphasizing. Either he's saying that as soon as you light it, you can already start benefiting from the light, or he's trying to say that there's no further action which is needed, unlike tzitzis or tefillin where you need to put it on. Here, the candles are just going to passively burn and people are going to be able to benefit from it. So Therefore, you could make a bracha even if the fulfillment comes later. Also, the re seems to be stressing that unlike Rabbeinu Mishulam, the entire point of lighting the Shabbos candles is not only to be able 
to eat with them, but also to be able to use them to do stuff around the house, to be able to walk and carry things. So it's not all about the meal. It's also about being able to use the light more broadly. So it's not entirely clear which of these points the re means to respond to Rabbeinu Meshulam. Maybe he means all of them, or maybe he means a totally different one. Likewise, Rabbeinu Tam himself in the Sefer Hayasha responds to Rabbeinu Meshulam, but it's also not entirely clear what point he's trying to make. He argues against Rabbeinu Meshulam that if you're going to say the fulfillment of the mitzvah is not at the moment of lighting, then the same should be true of the Hanukkah candles. Because the point of lighting the Hanukkah candles is for Pirsume Nisa, to spread the miracle. So that doesn't happen until after the lighting. So you also shouldn't make a bracha on the Hanukkah candles. And that's impossible because the Gemara explicitly talks about the bracha on Hanukkah candles. So Rabbeinu Tam says... Obviously, the point is that once you do the bracha of the Hanukkah candles, it immediately fulfills the mitzvah, even if it takes five or ten minutes for people to see that you're publicizing the miracle. So the same thing is true of the Shabbos candles. The purpose of them is shalom bias. That's what the Gemara says, in order to increase the peace in the home, which means, like the re said, that people can see what they're doing and they don't stumble in the darkness. But you can make the bracha as soon as you light them, even if the light is not needed until later. And then Rabbi Tam definitely stresses this point that with regards to tefillin and tzitzis, there's another step that's actively needed of putting them on as opposed to the Hanukkah candles, which are just going to burn now passively. The person doesn't need to do anything more. So that's why you could make a bracha. But again, it's not clear if Rabbi Tam means another point in addition to that passive versus active needing to do something more distinction. Now, there is a big problem on Rabbeinu Mishulam's view, and this is going to bring us back to a historical discussion. The Hagos Maimani, in his commentary on the Rambam Hilchah Shabbos at the beginning of Parak Hay, so he quotes a debate between two different passages in the Yerushalmi. One says that when you light the Yantif candles, you should make the bracha of Lahadlik Ner Shel Yom Tov, to light the Yom Tov candles, whereas the other section elsewhere says that the bracha is Lahadlik Ner Lichvod Yom Yom Tov, to light the candle in order to honor Yom Tov. So there seems to be a debate in the Yerushalmi what the exact language of the bracha is supposed to be. And the Agos Maimani assumes that that same debate would apply to Shabbos, should one make the bracha of Lahadlik Ner Shal Shabbos or Lahadlik Ner Lichvod Shabbos. Either way, what seems clear is that there is a Yerushalmi which says that one makes a bracha on lighting the Yom Tov candles. So that seems to totally contradict Rabbeinu Mishulam's whole idea that there's no bracha on lighting the Shabbos candles when there's an explicit Yerushalmi that says that there is a bracha. So this question the Beis HaLevi in his Chuvas Chelek Aleph Simen Yud Aleph asks, and then he suggests a sort of typical Achron type answer which limits the view of Rabbeinu Mishulam, but he seems to be working just with the version in Tosvos Shabbos Chafamid Beis. But he doesn't seem to have access to any of the details of Rabbeinu Mishulam's own view on this, so it's unlikely that his idea would work within Rabbeinu Mishulam. Now, there are three other approaches to try to answer this question, how Rabbeinu Mishulam would explain the Yerushalmi. Number one is that maybe there's a debate between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, and this is based on another debate in the Gemara in Sukkah Memvavam at Aleph. The Bavli Gemara says that you do don't make a bracha when you make your sukkah or when you prepare your lulav because we don't make brachas on the preparation for mitzvahs until we actually do them. 
On the other hand, the Yerushalmi says that someone who builds a sukkah or prepares a lulav does make a bracha. So there's very strong evidence to say that there's a very broad debate between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi whether one makes a bracha on the preparation of a mitzvah even if they're not fulfilling the mitzvah at that moment. So if so, it's possible that the Yerushalmi holds you make a bracha on the Shabbos candles, even though it's just preparation for doing the mitzvah later when you eat your meal with the light. But Rabbi Numishulam holds like the Bavli consistently, and the Bavli would be against making a bracha on Shabbos candles. And in truth, there is no mention of any bracha, not on Shabbos or Yantif candles anywhere in the Bavli. So that might be how Rabbi Numishulam would interpret it, that this is part of the overall debate between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, whether the preparation of mitzvahs should get a bracha, and the bracha on Shabbos candles would be another instance of that. Now, there is a second possible distinction. This is in a nice discussion in a Sefer Birkas Rafal on Sukkis, Simon Zion. So he suggests that maybe Shabbos and Yantif candles are different, meaning even though Rabbeinu Mishulam holds that there's no bracha on Shabbos candles, but he does agree that there's a bracha on Yantif candles. Now, why would this be? So he has a very nice suggestion. Because one of the approaches that we mentioned earlier is that Rabbeinu Mishulam's issue is that there's a lag time between the lighting of the Shabbos candles and the eating of the Shabbos meal later. So you're not benefiting from the candles immediately. But when it comes to Yantif, so we mentioned this in an earlier recording, many people light the Yantif candles later on in the night, right before their meal, which you're allowed to do on Yantif. You could transfer the flame. So it could be that Rabbeinu Mishulam holds, you don't make a bracha on Shabbos candles because it has has to be before sunset, but you're not benefiting from them until later. Whereas the Yantif candles, Rabbeinu Mishulam holds that you don't light them until later in the night when it's already dark and you're about to eat. So at that point, you make a bracha right away because you're going to benefit from them immediately. And he even adds that this might be the whole debate between these two passages in the Yerushalmi. The one that said that you make a bracha lichvod yom tov to honor yom tov. So that Yerushalmi holds that you're supposed to light the yom tov candles earlier in the day before sunset. So lighting the Yantif candles is a form of honoring Yom Tov because the candles are lit before Yantif comes in. But the other version in the Yushalmi that says that the bracha is ner shel yom tov, it omits the word lichvod. So that passage holds that you're supposed to light the yantif candles later on in the night, right before the meal. So that's why you skip the words lichvod, because yantif's already started. The only point of these candles is to benefit from them when eating the yantif meal. So Rabbeinu Mishulam would hold like that version of the Yushalmi. That's why he holds that there's only a bracha for the yantif candles, but not for the Shabbos candles which must be lit before Shabbos started because you're not allowed to light any fire on Shabbos. So this is a very cute idea. Again, it's not clear that this would historically work within Rabbeinu Mishulam because if he holds that you're supposed to make a bracha on the Yantif candles, so that would be a pretty big omission that he doesn't mention that. So it's not clear how historical this idea is, but it's certainly a sharp idea. It's also worth noting that according to this approach, Rabbeinu Mishulam would hold that you don't make a bracha on Shabbos candles, but you do make a on the Yantif candles. Now, in other Rishonim, we find the opposite. So the Abu Draham and the Archos Chaim both quote a view that even though you do make a bracha on the Shabbos candles, you don't make a bracha on the Yantif candles. According to the Abu Draham, that's because of a very subtle difference between Shabbos and Yantif, that on Shabbos, there's a mitzvah of Oneg Shabbos, to enjoy Shabbos. But on Yantif, there's no mitzvah of Oneg Yantif. There's a mitzvah to be happy on Yantif, but not to enjoy Yantif. So since the candles 
rules are connected with the mitzvah of Oneg Shabbos and there's no Oneg Yantif, so you don't make a bracha on the Yantif candles. The Archos Chaim makes an even better distinction because he says the Gemara connects the Shabbos candles with the idea of Shalom Bayis, being able to see what you're doing. But on Yantif, at any time you want, you can transfer a flame. So there's no need to light candles from before Yantif in order to be able to see what you're doing. So there's no special mitzvah of Yantif candles that would require a bracha. So the Archos Chaim takes this whole idea that we mentioned that you can light the Yantif candles even late at night after Yantif started. And he says that doesn't make it more worthy of a bracha, but the opposite. It means that you shouldn't make a bracha because there's no real mitzvah. The whole point of the Shabbos candles is that you've got to get them lit before Shabbos. Otherwise, you're not going to have light that night. So that's why there's a bracha. But on Yantif, we don't have the concept of lighting for Shalom Bayis in order to be able to see because you're able to transfer a flame. So that's how those Rishonim see it, that even if you make a bracha on the Shabbos candles, there's room to say that there's no bracha on the Yantif candles. This idea is going the other way, that even if you don't make a bracha on the Shabbos candles, you would still make a bracha on the Yantif candles. So that's all an interesting discussion with interesting ideas, but it's unlikely to reflect the actual historical view of Rabbeinu Mishulam. So that brings us to the third possible approach. How does Rabbeinu Mishulam explain this Yerushalmi that says to make a bracha on the Yantif candles? So here there's another mystery, and the Beis HaLevi points this out. Darach HaShulchan also in Simon Reish Samach Gimel Sif Beis also mentions this. We do not have any Yerushalmi which says any of this. So our printed Yerushalmis do not have any reference to any brachas on Yantif candles. So what is the Hagos Maimani and other Rishonim talking about when they quote these passages in the Yerushalmi that talk about making brachas on the Yantif candles that we don't have? So there's a collection of Svarim called the Shoal Umeshiv, which is sort of like a journal. And in volume 8, Simon Mem Gimel, there's a young Svardic Rav from Israel, Rav Elezer Uchna. So he addresses this whole issue straight on, and he has some great sources about this. So his starting point is that Rabbi Vadi Yosef has a few halachic discussions which are premised on the idea that the bracha on the Shabbos candles was around in the days of the Gemara. So it's very important to Rabbi Vadi Yosef that this bracha is an ancient one dating all the way back to the Gemara's times. And on the surface, that seems to be the historical case because as we said, the Rishonim quote that the Yerushalmi, which was completed before the Bavli, already references a bracha on the Yantif candles. So that would seem to imply that this bracha has been around even from the days of the Gemara. And in addition to that, he also points out that when the Rishonim talk about the bracha, they just mention that there's a bracha. They don't in any way imply that it came after the times of the Gemara. So again, the implication is that just like most of our brachas date to the times of the Gemara, this bracha was also around in the times of the Gemara. But there is some evidence contrary to that. First, he quotes that in the Sefer Mitzvos Zmanios from Rabbeinu Yisrael ben Rabbi Yosef HaYisraeli, who was a student of the Rush. So this is one of the Rishonim. And he writes explicitly that the bracha on the Shabbos candles was instituted by the Geonim, which is the period after the Gemara. So he assumes that this bracha does not date from the period of the Gemara. In the Gemara's times, there was no bracha on the lighting of the Shabbos candles. And then the Geonim, post the Gemara, instituted the bracha. And he also quotes that in the Sefer B'nai Tzion, he also says something similar in order to explain the view of Rabbeinu Mesholam. How could Rabbeinu Mesholam contradict the Yerushalmi, which talks about a bracha on the candles, 
rules. So he says that it's not the actual Yerushalmi Gemara, because in those times there was no bracha. Rather, it's a different book called the Yerushalmi, which is from later in history, but the bracha didn't come around until the times of the Gaonim. So that's why Rabbi Mishulam could disagree with this view, because there isn't an explicit Yerushalmi Gemara which talks about the bracha. There's a book called the Yerushalmi which references the bracha, but that's already post the Gemara, and Rabbi Mishulam is able to disagree with that source. So this raises the issue, what is the Yerushalmi that these Rishonim are quoting? Is it the Gemara or is it some other book? So the annotator of the Sefer Rav Yah, whose name was Rav Avigdor Aptovitzer, so he has a footnote where the Rav Yah also quotes this Yerushalmi about the bracha and the Yantif candles, and he says that his opinion, and he's proved this elsewhere, is that the Ashkenazi Rishonim had a book which was called the Yerushalmi, and it had a bunch of passages which were collected from the Gemara and from other random stray books, and a lot from the books of the Geonim, and they called that the Yerushalmi, but it's not what we call the Gemara of the Yerushalmi. It had a lot of material which was after the times of the Gemara. So according to that view, what these Rishonim are quoting from the Yerushalmi does not have the same status of the Gemara, but it has the status of the Geonim post the Gemara, so then that wouldn't be a contradiction to Rabbeinu Misholem. Now in the Sholem Meshiv piece, he quotes other approaches to explain why the Rishonim sometimes quote a Yerushalmi, which doesn't appear in our printed Yerushalmis. So he quotes from the Stechemed, who quotes from a few people, including the Maritz Chayos and Brachos Tesvav Amid Beis, that he says that sometimes it was just a matter of who had what version. So some Rishonim had the version of the Yerushalmi with this passage in it, and some did not. So that might have happened in this case also. The Rav Yah and the Hagos Maimani did have a Yerushalmi with that section in it, whereas other Rishonim, including Rabbeinu Mishulam, their version of the Yerushalmi, whatever they had available to them, did not have that section. And our printed versions are also based on a manuscript that did not have that version. So that's why there's differences in what appears in our Yerushalmis. Again, the answer for Rabbeinu Mishola might be that he just didn't have that section in the Yerushalmi in front of him. And then he also goes through a few places where Rav Ovadi Yosef deals with this question. Is the bracha from the time of the Yerushalmi or is it later? And he says different things in different places. In one place he writes that this is not a problem, that the Rishonim quote a Yerushalmi which we don't have because they had passages in the Yerushalmi which didn't make it down to us and were never printed. So he doesn't seem to feel that this is a real problem and we should assume that the actual Yerushalmi, that the version the Rishonim had, did discuss this bracha. So that would mean that this bracha is an ancient one from the times of the and he also writes that in general, most of our brachas that we make were established by the Anshei Knesset HaGedola, which is at the beginning of the times of the Mishnah. So at the end of the Tanakh period, as it was transitioning into the beginning of the Mishnah period, which is documented in the first Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. So most of our brachas come from that early in Jewish history, and he assumes that the bracha on the Shabbos candles is from that same period. Now elsewhere, Rabbi Vadi Yosef takes a different approach, and he says that when the Rishonim call something the Yerushalmi, sometimes they don't mean the Yerushalmi Gemara, but they're talking about some collection of Midrashim. So in that case, it wouldn't be clear if the Rishonim quotes something from the Yerushalmi that it has the status of something that appears in the Gemara, because it may come from a collection of Midrashim with a lower halachic status. So that would undermine the idea that this must be an ancient bracha, because even though the Rishonim are quoting it from the Yerushalmi, but it might come from 
from another Sefer that they had in front of them, not the Talmud Yerushalmi that we have. So this is the issue, whether the bracha on the Shabbos candles is ancient from the times of the Gemara or not, and it depends on what is meant when the Rishonim quote the Yerushalmi. Are they referring to the Talmud Yerushalmi, and they have some passages that we don't have in our printed books, or are they talking about a different book? And it's not totally clear. Even Rabovadi Yosef, who's very interested in this, seems to go in both directions. But on a purely historical level, so this would resolve Rabbeinu Mishulam's problem, because if it's not actually from the Talmud Yerushalmi, then it's not a problem for him to contradict that source. Now, Rabbeinu Mishulam's second argument against the bracha, and this one is quoted by our printed Tosfasim, is that the Gemara refers to it as a chova, an obligation. So according to Rabbeinu Mishulam, this means that lighting the Shabbos candles is not a mitzvah, it's not a commandment, it's just an obligation, it's a means to an end in order to have light. So there's an obligation to light the candles so that you'll have light in the house, but there's no mitzvah in the actual lighting, and therefore there should be no bracha. And the parallel for this, he says, is mayim achronim, which is the obligation to wash hands after the meal, where again, there's no bracha, unlike washing before for the meal where there is a bracha and the difference is because washing after the meal is in order to clean your hands from melach sedomis this salt that they used to have which was dangerous to have on your hands so you had to clean it up so that's why there's no bracha because you're not doing a mitzvah the point is just to clean your hands so anything which is just a means to an end as opposed to a mitzvah in and of itself you don't make a bracha on now Rabbeinu Tam responded to this that you can't focus so heavily on the language of the Gemara even though it's called a chova, but what the Gemara means is that it's an obligation in order for you to be able to do the mitzvah of Oneg Shabbos, of enjoying Shabbos properly. So that would necessitate a bracha. In other words, labeling something a chova does not contradict that it could also be a mitzvah. And even though Maimachronim is called a chova and there's no bracha, but Rabbeinu Tam says that the word chova could mean different things in different places. Maimachronim, it means that it's a means to an end, so there's no bracha, but lighting Shabbos candles it itself is a mitzvah in order to enjoy Shabbos, so therefore there is a bracha. Now, Reiner in his article points out that this is one of the methodological differences between Rabbeinu Tam and Rabbeinu Mishulam in terms of interpreting halacha. Rabbeinu Mishulam has as a very strong value to try to keep the language of the Gemara consistent throughout. So if he finds the same word or the same phrase used in two different places, he tries to create a consistency so that they're equivalent as much as possible. Rabbeinu Tam, on the other hand, believes that it's better to take each case on its own based on the merits and factors of that case and not focus so much on the similar language which is used. So that same broader debate is coming up in this case. Rabbeinu Mishulam's focused on this word chova and how it's used with regards to Mai Machronim, and he wants to make lighting the Shabbos candles consistent with that. And Rabbeinu Tam says that we should just take each case on its own and not focus so much on the word chova. Now, it's interesting to note because it's obvious to both of them in this discussion that there is no bracha on the Mai Machronim, but that wasn't obvious to other Rishonim. So the Tur in Simon Kufpe Aleph Siv Zayin quotes that the Ramah and some of the Gaonim held that there is a bracha on the Mai Machronim, which is al rechitzas yadayim, on the cleaning of the hands. So there are some Rishonim who disagree with the whole assumption of this question, and they hold that there is a bracha on the Mai Machronim too, even though they're a chova in order to clean the hands. Now, it's 
also worth noting because both Rabbeinu Mishulam and Rabbeinu Tam agree that the word chova in the Gemara would potentially be a weakness against making a bracha on lighting the Shabbos candles. Rabbeinu Mishulam goes so far as to say so practically, whereas Rabbeinu Tam holds that you can reread it a little differently. What's interesting is that in the Sholem Eshev piece we quoted earlier, so he quotes a tshuva from the Gaonim, from Rav Shreira Gaon and Rav Hai Gaon, as well as a passage from Rav Amram Gaon, and they all point to the line in the Gemara where it calls lighting the Shabbos candles, the chova, as the source for the bracha. So their argument is that since this isn't optional, a person can't choose whether they want to light the Shabbos candles. They must light the Shabbos candles, so therefore it requires a bracha. So it's interesting how they have the polar opposite view of Rabbeinu Meshulam. He sees the word chova as an argument against making a bracha, whereas they see the word chova as the very source for the reason to make a bracha. Now, Rabbeinu Meshulam's third argument against the bracha, and this is also quoted in our printed Tosvasim, is that if the light is already lit, then the woman doesn't need to do anything. She doesn't need to blow it out and relight it. She doesn't need to light another candle. She can rely on the candle which is already lit, and that's her Shabbos candles. So again, you see that there's no mitzvah in the lighting. The lighting of the candles is just a means to an end in order to have light in the house. But if there's already a burning candle, so then there's no need to do anything act of lighting. So Rabbeinu Tam's response to that is that even on a mitzvah that you don't have to redo, you still make a bracha. And in our printed Tosusim, he has two examples. One is from the mitzvah of Kisui Hadam, covering over the blood of an animal which has been slaughtered. So the halacha is that if the wind blows dirt over the blood, so then the person doesn't have to cover it. But still, if they're covering it, they make a bracha. So you see that even something which could happen passively if the person is doing it, they would make a bracha. And the second example is from brismila, circumcision. If someone is born circumcised, so there's a position in the Gemara that you don't need to do a bris on that person. You don't need to do anything. But still, when you're doing the bris, you do make the bracha. So again, you see that even things which could be done without human action, if a person is doing it, they make a bracha. Those are Rabbeinu Tam's two examples in our printed Tosusim. But in the Sefer Hayashar, he also has two examples, but they're a little different. The first is Kisui Hadam, the same as Artosvos. But then his second example is not from Brismila, it's from Sukkah. He says, let's say someone had a sukkah that was already standing and there's nothing they can do to add to this sukkah, so then they could use it. But even though the mitzvah could theoretically be done with something which is already existing, if you go ahead and build a sukkah, then you still make a bracha on it. So this is not entirely clear what he's talking about. The Bavli holds that you would make a shechianu on making a sukkah. As we mentioned before, the Yushalmi holds that you make a bracha on the actual building of the sukkah. So potentially Rabbeinu Tam is talking about the shechianu that would be made. Either way, his point is that even though you could do the mitzvah of sukkah with a structure which was already standing there, if you go ahead and build it, so then the Gemara does talk about making a bracha. So from all these examples, you see that unlike Rabbeinu Mishulam, even a mitzvah which does not need to be done, if someone is doing it, they would make a bracha. Now, then Rabbeinu Tam makes a second point against Rabbeinu Mishulam, and again, this is quoted in Artosusim. He says that he doesn't agree with the whole assumption of Rabbeinu Mishulam, but rather, if someone does have a burning candle, they would need to put it out and relight it for Shabbos. And the proof he brings for this is because the Gemara says that you can't light the Shabbos candles too early in the day because it's not clear that they're being lit for Shabbos. So the same thing applies to a candle which is already 
burning, it needs to be put out and relit for Shabbos. What's interesting is that in the Sefer Hayasha, when Rabbeinu Tam makes this argument, he doesn't quote any proof from any Gemaras, but instead he refers to the common practice of women that he had asked. He says, The custom of our ladies is that they do put out the candles and relight them. He says, I saw them doing that. There was a candle that was burning. They put it out and relit it. And he asked them about it. And they told him that that's the halacha. If they're not prophets themselves, they come from prophets. That's a line the Gemara has to say that we should trust the custom of the Jewish people. So again, this is an example of Rabbeinu Tam's submission in the face of a minhag, if there is a common practice which the Jewish people are doing, so then Rabbeinu Tam will try to preserve it if at all possible. So now on a practical level, the Ramah in Simen Reish Samach Gimel Sif Dalid does quote this view of Rabbeinu Tam, that if there's a candle that's already burning from earlier in the day, so then you have to put it out and relight it for Shabbos. But Reb Kiva Eger there makes the point that since the proof of Tosfos is from the Gemara that says that you have to light the candle for the sake of Shabbos, so it doesn't really matter if it was lit early in the day or late in the day, what really matters is why it was lit. So if the candle was lit for the sake of Shabbos, even if it was lit in the morning or too early, you can still keep it. You don't need to put it out and relight it. But if the candle was lit for some other purpose, so then it should be relit for the sake of Shabbos. So that's how Reb Kiva Eger formulates this issue on a practical level, that everything depends why the candle was lit, but the Shabbos candles should be lit for the sake of Shabbos. Otherwise, they should be put out and relit. So now we've looked at three arguments Rabbeinu Mishulam has against making a bracha on the Shabbos candles, but but really the point behind all of them is consistent. The key theme for Rabbeinu Mishulam is that lighting the Shabbos candles is not a mitzvah in and of itself, but it's a means to an end in order to have light later on at night. So that's why the mitzvah is not fulfilled at the lighting until the person uses the light later on. That's why the Gemara calls it a chova, an obligation in order to have light, but it's not a mitzvah. And that's why if there's already a candle burning, you don't need to put it out and relight it. So they're all leading to the same conclusion that the point of lighting the Shabbos candles is just to ensure that there's going to be light later on at night when you're not allowed to light a fire. So in this regard, it's fascinating to quote the perspective on this machlokas of the Moshav Zekenim, which is a collection of the Balei Tosfos' comments on the Chumash in Parshas Emor and Vayikra Chavdalet Beis. So he goes through this whole issue because the Torah gives the command of lighting the menorah candles in the Beis HaMikdash right after it discussed Shabbos and the holidays. So he says, why does the menorah follow the holidays? So we learn from here that there's a mitzvah to light candles on Shabbos and Yantif. That's his idea in the Chumash. So now he continues, based on this idea that there's a hint to the Yantif candles in the Chumash, so that's why the Ashkenazim make a bracha also on the Yantif candles. Then he quotes what we saw from the Archos Chaim earlier, that in France they don't make a bracha on the Yantif candles because there's no Shalom bias, because you could light the candles even later on in the night by transferring a flame. So there's no need for a special decree to light the Yantif candles early, so that's why there's no bracha. Then he says, well, it's not even so clear if there's a bracha on the Shabbos candles. That's the debate between Rabbeinu Tam and Rabbeinu Meshulam. And he goes through the whole issue of the Chova as it connects to the Ma'im Achronim. So, so far, this is all material that we've seen previously. But then he quotes Rabbeinu Meshulam's last argument in a different way. He says that Rabbeinu Meshulam holds the Imhayalo Evan Tova. If you have a very bright stone, 
So that's the equivalent of our electric light. But in the old days, there's no light. So if you have a very bright stone, which is giving off light, according to Rabbeinu Mishulam, you don't need to light Shabbos candles. Rabbeinu Tam, on the other hand, holds that even if you have a bright stone, so you have light coming from that stone, you still need to light the Shabbos candles, and therefore you make a bracha on it. So he brings the same basic argument that our Tosos quotes about if there's a candle burning, do you have to put it out and relight it? But his version is even sharper that Rabbeinu Mishulam holds that if you have a bright stone, you don't need to light the Shabbos candles at all. So practically, that would mean that according to Rabbeinu Mishulam, if you have electric lights on, which most of us do nowadays, then you don't need to light Shabbos candles, which is obviously a very original view. And then the Moshev's Canaan brings back in the Yuntif candles to this discussion, and he says that if you have a bright stone, then you definitely don't need to light Yuntif candles. It sounds like at this point he's saying, even according to Rabbeinu Tam, because you can rely on the light coming from the bright stone. So in that case, you definitely would not have to light Yantif candles and you don't make a bracha on Yantif candles. So again, this would seem to mean practically that if you're going to have electric lights on, on Yantif, according to the Moshe of Zikanim, everyone would hold that you don't have to light Yantif candles. And if you do, you don't make a bracha on it. As I emphasized in my introduction to this recording, none of what we're discussing is meant to be taken practically. We're just exploring the wide range of views about this mitzvah and the bracha and some of the interesting wild ideas that were developed over history. But again, none of this should be taken practically. And this is a prime example of that. Having electricity does not exempt someone from lighting Shabbos candles or Yuntif candles or making a bracha on them. Now, it's also interesting to compare the Moshe of Zikanim's presentation of of this debate with one of the great contemporary poskim, the Tzitz Eliezer and Chelek Aleph Simen Chaf Perak Yud Aleph. So he's discussing whether you can use electric lights as the Shabbos candles. And this issue does come up a lot in cases where people can't light a fire, like in a hospital or a hotel. So can they rely on the electric lights? So the Tzitz Eliezer says this should depend on Rabbeinu Mishulam and Rabbeinu Tam's debate. According to Rabbeinu Mishulam, that the whole point is to have light that night. So then the electric lights would be good enough. Whereas according to Rabbeinu Tam, that you're supposed to do the act of lighting the candles. So then you could question, is turning on the switch enough of an act of the mitzvah? So he quotes that the Rambam's formulation of this halacha is that men and women Everyone has to have a candle burning in their house on Shabbos. So it's a passive formulation. It sounds like the main mitzvah is to have light that night. But the Rambam doesn't emphasize the act of lighting. So that would seem to be in line with the overall view of Rabbeinu Mishulam that the point is to have light at night. But still, according to the Rambam, you could make a bracha. But it's interesting to see how the Tzitz Eliezer does apply this debate to the issue of using electricity for the Shabbos candles, but he does not suggest that if you have electric lights on already, then you don't need to light the Shabbos or Yantif candles. So that seems to be the more radical presentation of the Moshe of Zikanim, which is not accepted for halacha. Now, as we've been noting throughout, the halacha follows Rabbeinu Tam's view, but it's worth just seeing how Rabbeinu Tam formulates his position. So our printed Tosusim already point out that Rav Amram Gaon, who put together the first sitter in history, so he's the source of many of our brachas. So he holds that there is a bracha on lighting the candles. And that's very strong proof for Rabbeinu Tam. But Rabbeinu Tam's actual formulation of this 
in his letter to Rabbeinu Mishulam, so this is in Sefer Ayasher, Simon Memches is a little edgier, and he basically says, how can you question Rabbi Hudai going about something, and Rav Shreira going about something, and then his third example of Rabbeinu Mishulam questioning a Gaon is how could you question Rav Amram about this bracha when most of our knowledge of the brachos comes from Rav Amram and not from the Gemara. So again, this is an example of Rabbeinu Tam yielding to precedent that if this is the custom and this is what the earlier Gaonim said, so then we should follow what they said to do. And then Rabbeinu Tam makes an amazing comment and he writes to Rabbeinu Mishulam that it's because the women light the Shabbos candles and make the bracha quietly, that's why you forgot that there's a bracha on the Shabbos candles because you don't hear the women doing the lighting making that bracha. And Rabbeinu Tam even adds, shamati miyamai, I also never hear the bracha being made. Madlika, sometimes I'm lighting the Shabbos candles for whatever reason Rabbeinu Tam was lighting. I would also forget, because men are not as accustomed to making this bracha and doing the lighting as women are. So this is an unbelievable comment from one of the greatest Rishonim of all time that when he would light the Shabbos candles, he would sometimes forget the bracha because he wasn't used to it and he wasn't used to hearing it being made. For anyone that's known a yeshiva bacher who forgets some basic practical halacha that everyone else seems to know. So this is a good example of why, because sometimes when you're learning abstract theoretical halacha, you sometimes forget the more common practical halachas because you're not used to seeing them being done. So the next time you come across a great Talmud Chacham who's sitting and learning abstract Gemara all day, and they trafe up the whole kitchen because they're not used to some of those more common halachas. So you can remember the example of Rabbeinu Tam, that he didn't remember to make the bracha on Shabbos candles because he didn't hear the women doing it. So it's just a great comment. And then Rabbeinu Tam also quotes the Bahag, which we discussed in the previous recording, who holds that you accept Shabbos by lighting the candles. And Rabbeinu Tam says it must be that that means a bracha, shim ein bracha kabolaminayin, because if there's no bracha, so then where's the acceptance of Shabbos? So this gets into the issue which we discussed at length in the previous recording. According to the Shulchan Arach, the acceptance of Shabbos is through the act of lighting, whereas according to the Ramah, it's through the act of making the bracha, which is formulated about Shabbos. So Rabbeinu Tam here is clearly aligning himself with the Ramah's view of the Bahag, that the lighting itself doesn't accept the Shabbos, but rather it's making the bracha. So this whole issue is just very, very fascinating with a lot of interesting material between these two. And I'll just end this with one more interesting historical tidbit. The Beis Yosef, towards the end of Simon Reish Samach Gimel, quotes from the Maria Buhav that there used to be a custom in certain places that on Friday, a woman would light a candle before the time of candle lighting, and they would call that the Ner Shalchol, the mundane candle, and then after that, they would light the Shabbos candle. So he says, what is the point of lighting this earlier candle, which has nothing to do with the Shabbos candles? So the Maria Buhav explains that the reason for this custom is because of this debate between Rabbeinu Tam and Rabbeinu Meshulam. So as we saw, Rabbeinu Meshulam holds that the whole point of lighting is in order to have light in the house. So that's why there's no bracha on the candle. So by lighting another candle, they're showing that they already have light in the house. So the fact that they're lighting a second candle for Shabbos must be like Rabbeinu Tam said, that they're not lighting in order to have light in their house, but rather they're lighting in order to do the mitzvah of candle lighting, and therefore you make a bracha. So this is an interesting postscript 
to this whole debate between Rabbeinu Tam and Rabbeinu Meshulam that there seems to have developed a custom later on in history to take into account some of Rabbeinu Meshulam's arguments against the bracha. And by doing this, they're reinforcing Rabbeinu Tam's view that there should be a bracha. Now, the Beis Yosef himself has a different explanation for this custom, which is that sometimes by the time the woman is ready to light the Shabbos candles, it's already quite late in the day. And the concern is that they might pass the time and it's already sunset and then they can no longer light. So that's why they prepare a candle in advance so that they don't have to go looking around for fire. It's ready for them right there. And then they're able to light it immediately when they're ready without missing sunset. The Ramon notes in his commentary on the Beis Yosef that we do not do this custom and I have not seen that done anywhere.